Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 15th of September, 2019. This evening we are joined by Mr. Billy Patterson, who this evening brings us a word of testimony. It's really good singing. Well done. Uh, Victor, uh, what he called, um, Clifford's a good singer as well. You know, he can motor along rightly. Not bad. But it's good to be with you again. And thank you again just for the invitation to be here. And the warm welcome that I've received from people that I've met already. It's good to be um, able to come along. Um, I, w- I was actually born in Cumber. Um, lived for 11 months. Don't m- remember much about it, mind you. In the first house past the mill down here. My cousin still lives there today. But um, I lived there for 11 months. Then we moved and went to live in Carryduff. And that's really where I grew up. But I want to read something to you just for a moment. Just a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 7. Where Jesus is speaking and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Let me pray for a moment. Father, just humbly bow before you and I and ask again for help and ask not only help for myself but help for other people out there to listen and to hear your voice speaking in it all that you might be glorified and honoured through all that we do and we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, um, in my work, I worked as an evangelist um, down south for 30 years. I worked for 20 years in Kilkenny um, and saw a real awakening there. And then I worked for 10 years in Drogheda. And at the moment I work in Newry. I'm retired, but I, I go to Newry a couple of days a week and knock doors. And just try to engage people there, um, just with the gospel. Um, it has been, in a large part, um, I work among Catholic people. I'm working among Catholic people in the South and then again in Newry which is a large percentage of Catholic people there as well. And the great, the great thing about it all is this work, it's all of God. And it's all on the back of prayer. And I just want you to remember that it's tremendously important. Um, the work in Kilkenny uh, started really through a prayer meeting that started in the town of Kilkenny in 1939, before I was born um, the faith mission um, came in there and an old farmer um, got saved and his sons got saved and they started the prayer meeting in their home every Friday night and it ran there and then God started to do something really amazing in it real awakening in it um, the spirit of God came down in a very real and very powerful way in it all but look, let me back up for a wee moment and tell you I, um, as I said, grew up in Carrie Duff in a non-Christian home. My parents were good people, decent, but never went to church. They just didn't see any need of it. We were Presbyterian. And I went to the Presbyterian church Sunday school on Sunday morning. And then in the evening, or in the afternoon, I, I went to the Baptist Sunday school in Carriedoff. Went there and, you know, I, I can remember things from that that really, um, looking back on it, touched my heart. I remember a man coming one Sunday um, and the, the, the superintendent, it was an open Sunday school, and he, he said to his boys and girls, this is Mr. So-and-so, and he's going to give us testimony. And, you know, that, something that meant nothing to me. I thought to myself, what sort of money is testimony? 
Um, I'd heard about ten bob notes and pound notes and half crowns and stuff. Didn't have much of it, mind you. But I'd heard about that, but didn't know what testimony was. I was probably about maybe eight or nine at the time, and I had a brother who was a year and a half older than me. And I said to him, I said, what sort of money is testimony? He said, I don't know. No, we didn't. We hadn't just hadn't a clue. And the man spoke and he talked and everything else. And I hadn't a clue to this day what he was talking about. Because I was waiting for him to put his hand in his pocket and produce the testimony. But he didn't do that. And, you know, it's, but it stuck with me. It's quite amazing. And, you know, again, when I was about 14, got left Sunday school and uh, left everything like that. And just like my father, just went my own way and did my own thing. Um, served my time as a plumber. And that's what I worked at um, in, in Belfast. I, I played football for distillery. Um, that was the great thing of my life. Loved that. You know, it was just a real ambition. Wanted to do that. But God never entered the equation. Never went near church. Didn't go to anything. Uh, then I, went, I met my wife in a pub one night. Went to a pub in Lisburn. One of these singing pubs. And I went in there and I saw this nice looking girl. And she smiled at me. What she said? She said afterwards she was laughing at me. But anyway, she, um, she smiled at me and I got talking to her and her and I sort of started to go out and just fell in love with her and, um, and we got married and we were happily married. But you know, I tell you, we worked really hard because there was a sense that there was something missing. And you don't know what it is, you know, you think it's, you know, maybe if you had more money or more things, that would be the answer. And so you, you begin to work hard and, and, and really um, try to, as the world talks, get on. And we worked hard and I was working in, in Twinbrook. And we've all heard of Twinbrook and it was being built at that time and I was working there. And one day, um, just walking down the street, I heard the shots going off and a wee boy was shot dead. He was working in a laundry van. Some of you might remember it. And um, he and a girl were working in this laundry van. It was working undercover. They were, the boy was in the SAS. And the IRA found out about him. And they came up the street. And the, the back window was out of the, this Ford Cortina. And this young lad who was driving the laundry van had the sliding door opened. And the sun was shining in. And he was enjoying a bit of sunshine. And at the last moment he saw the gun and he tried to close the door but he was too late and he was shot dead. And I remember we were there and um, came on that whole thing and um, the, the, the police came in and the army came in and we were moved on. And you know the, the wonder of God's word, word and the wonder of God's spirit. As I walked away that day and I was godless now, I tell you that I was just totally godless. As I walked away that day, this thought came into my mind from nowhere, and the the thought was, I wonder where that boy went when he died. If there's a heaven and if there's a hell, where did he go? And then I thought to myself, if I died like that, where would I go? And I'll tell you, I was absolutely sure in my heart that I wouldn't go to heaven. Nobody needed to convince me of that. I, I just knew as I stood in the street that I knew that I wouldn't go to heaven. And it wasn't that I was particularly bad or anything like that. I had a wife, I loved her, and a wee boy loved him. And I just 
was working hard, I, but I knew I, I, I wouldn't go to heaven. I knew I wouldn't make it. But it's just a, a real, it comes as a real blow. And the idea that I had in my mind was that someday, looking back on Sunday school, that someday I would become a Christian. That someday when I was older, when um, I had done the things that I wanted to do and got to the places where I wanted to get, that I would become a Christian. And then I remembered this boy didn't have that opportunity. Whatever way he lived, that was how he died. And that really spoke to me. And I tell you now, I came under real conviction. I didn't know it was conviction, but I came under this tremendous conviction. For a whole year. I had during that year I had six physical breakdowns. Couldn't sleep at night. I didn't know that that God was on my case. I hadn't a clue that God was on my case. Didn't know that. It didn't didn't even come into my thinking that God was on my case. And during that year I the things happened to me. I played for an amateur international team against Scotland. And I can remember standing on the pitch and standing there thinking to myself, Well, this is what you wanted all your life. And here you are. And what's it worth now? And it's worth nothing. That's how I thought. It just isn't, isn't worth anything. And that was uh, the, the, the reality of what I was going through at that time. And then uh, an amazing thing happened. Uh, um, an open air meeting came into our street in, in Lisburn where I lived. That's where I was living in. And this open air meeting came into the street. It was from um, Sloan Street Presbyterian Church and, and Lisburn Congregational Church. They were working together at the summertime and they came into the street and a, a girl gave her testimony. Now that was quite amazing because I was sitting in the house and my wife was outside cleaning the windows and this meeting was going on. And the first thing that came into my mind when I heard the, the speakers outside that it was political. It was a political meeting that... At that particular time, it seemed to be all the time political meetings going on. And my wife came in and I said to her, what's happening on the street? And she said, um, it's um, one of those we open our meetings. And I said, what are they doing on it? And she said, there's a, a girl giving her testimony. And I went back to Sunday school. I went back to the man who was giving his testimony. That I didn't understand what he was doing or what he was saying. And, and I knew what testimony meant now, okay. But I, I, it became really important to me just at that moment to, to know what the, the girl was saying. And my wife said to me, she said that when she was a wee girl, um, 10 years old, that she wanted something special for Christmas. And she thought if she could get it, that would be, it would be the making of her. It would be, make her really happy. It would be the thing that she would that she would, um, they would just do, do it for her. And Christmas time came around and she got this particular thing she wanted. And, and she said that two days later she realized it wouldn't last. That was only a thing. That what she really needed in her life was Jesus. And as she said that, God spoke to me. There's the answer. You need Jesus. He's the answer. It's not money, it's not things, it's Jesus you need. And I remember getting up and, uh, and I got out, going outside and the meeting was still going on and I was standing in the cleaver of my house and, and, and wringing my hands and the, the, the voices were flying through my head and the voices were saying to me, you could never be a Christian, never go to church, you don't even own a Bible. 
And anyway, if you became a, a, a Christian, your wife will leave you. So take the wee boy with her. What about your parents? What about the boys in the football team? And this other voice said to me, Well, take a look at yourself now. You've got a past that isn't worth looking back on, and you have a, a present that isn't even worth living. What about the future? And this voice said to me very clearly, as clear as a bell to me, let me in. And God spoke to me as clear as that now. And I came up to my bedroom and I didn't, I hadn't prayed for, I don't know how long, since maybe I was a wee boy and I didn't know really how to pray. And I just lay down on the floor. And I just began to weep. And as I wept, uh, it seemed all the dirt and the rubbish came out of me. And I remember I got up and I couldn't stand. I actually had to get back down on my knees again and crawl across the floor and, and climb into bed. And I just passed out like a light. And the next moment, it just seemed like two minutes later, that I, I wakened up and it was daylight and I couldn't believe I couldn't get my bearings. Because I hadn't slept the whole night for over a year. And suddenly I'm lying there and I, I'm trying to get to grips with where I am and suddenly I um, the thought comes into my mind that, you know, but last night and you were at the bottom of the bed and you were crying like a child. And don't tell anybody about that because people think you're stupid. And then the thought came into my mind, something has happened to me. I've slept for a whole night and something has happened to me. And I thought to myself, I think I've become a Christian. And my wife's lying there and she's out like a light and it's not a good thing to wake on a, a woman out of a good, a good sleep. But I um, had this thing and I just so I said, Pat, like, Pat, and I wakened her and she said, what do you want? And I said to her, I want you to get me a Bible. And she said to me, what do you want with a Bible? And I said to her, I, I think I've become a Christian. And she said, what do you mean you think you've become a Christian? And I, I told her what had happened to me. And, and her reaction to it all was, well, look, I tell you, if it makes you easier to live with, it'll be good. Because I had given her a tough time because I wasn't well. I was under conviction. And I, um, I was really partly, quite partly converted. You know that. She got me a Bible, she went up to town, bought me a Bible and brought it home. And I started to read it like a book. I started getting up at the break of dawn in the mornings to read Genesis, right through the Bible, through it in three weeks, you know that. And reading the story about David and Goliath, I could hardly believe it. And Samson and all these people that I'd heard about in Sunday school. Just, it was the most wonderful thing, just to be able to read these stories again. The joy of it all. Reading, as soon as I came home from work at night, got my dinner, was back up to it again, up in the morning and at it. The change was tremendous. My wife was converted ten weeks later. I'd met her in a pub. She was from a, a family of 14 children. And her mother had run off and left them all. And her, she just had one miserable life, you know that. But it changed everything. It just changed everything for us all. We became a, a Christian family. Boy, what a change. What a, what a difference the gospel makes. 
We started to go to church and we started to get involved in prayer meetings. And God really began to speak to us from the Bible about how to live. There, were, there was restitution to, to make to people. There were people that we had to say sorry to, and, but God was with us in it all. And then we went to, God calls in this, we're in the full-time work with the Irish mission. And we went to live in Kilkenny. And there we came into a situation of tremendous blessing. Where God just came, there came a whole awakening in a, in a town of Kilkenny. A town of 20 odd thousand people, 99% Catholic. And as I told you earlier, this family who had been praying since 1939, praying for that whole area. And we come in there, another man, John Woodside and myself, came in there and we, and, and I started to knock doors and go around and talk to people. And I'll tell you something, friends, to, to, tonight. The most wonderful thing happened. And I tell you, when you have tasted something like this, it's desperately hard to, to get back to, if you like, normality in many ways. And I could spend the whole night here telling you about a whole range of people who were, who were wonderfully converted there. The, when the first Sunday we went to church, there were 27 people there in the church in Kilkenny. And when we left, there were over 300. And the old church wouldn't hold them all. They had to build a new church to hold them. And you know, I tell you, the day that it was opened, when we went there, there was super stairs up the middle of the church to try and heat the place. The paint was falling off the walls. And the day it was opened, there wasn't a penny owed on it. Do you know that? Everything was paid. God, the Spirit was moving in power. And just let me give you a couple of incidents to give you some idea of what it was like. There was a woman, I came home one night, I was knocking doors and I came home one night and uh, my wife said to me, there's a, a woman in the house, she wants to see you. And I went in and here's a woman, she, her name was Mary Delasandra. they owned a, a, a restaurant in Kilkenny. And she said to me, I've, co- I've come to hear about the new religion. And I said, Mary, it's not a new religion. It's about faith in Jesus. She said, well, I've come to hear about it. And so we sat and talked for a minute or two. And I asked her to read these verses. Never saw anything like this before, by the way. In Isaiah chapter 53. And read this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And as she, I, she read those words, and as she read them, she read them, I said, read them out loud. She started to weep. And the tears just ran down her face under the Bible. And she said, you know, when I was 15, I knew that one day God would show me the right way. She was wanted to be converted there. And she had five children and all of them, they all started to come to church and God really worked among them. Then another man, God was really working among people in the army, the Irish army in Kilkenny. 
And one of the boys who had got saved in the army camp said to me, would you go and see this man called Pat Drennan? And I went to see him. I didn't, didn't know who he was, but they told me where he lived. So I went to see him, knocked his door, and he came out, big man, ginger hair. And he said to me, what do you want? And I told him, and he, he said to me, I'll tell you, if you don't get away from here, he said, I'll kill you. He said, I'm telling you that now. If, I, if you ever come back to my door again, I'll kill you. And I said to him, look, I'm sorry I only came because the boys that work with you asked me to come and see you. He said, well, I don't want to see you, he said. And he said, clear off. And so I went. I'm glad to get away. And some months later, was in the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. And we, it was near 10 o'clock and we were praying. And the door opened. And I looked up and it was him. Pat Drennan, and I thought he was there to erect the place. That's what I thought. But he came in and he sat down and, and he sat there at the back, near the back and after the prayer meeting was over, I said to him, I went down and I said to him, Pat, are you okay? And he said, yeah. He said, I have a question for you. He said, can God save anybody? And I said, yes, he can. He can save anybody who comes to him. He, and he said, what about somebody who's done some really bad stuff in their life? Can God save somebody like that? And I said, yes, he can. But he can only save those who come. And I said to him, who are we talking about here, Pat? And, Pat? and he said, we're talking about me. Can God save me? I said, yes, he can. He said, what do you need to do? And I explained to him about repentance, what it meant to repent, to, to turn away from sin and to, to trust Jesus only. And I said to him, look, I'm not going to put any words in your mouth, Pat. I want you to go home. And if you do that, I want you to come and tell me. And next morning at 7 o'clock, he was banging on my door, do you know that? And standing there, he was saved. And the wonderful thing about not only him, but his, his wife got saved a, a short time later. And then his mother got saved. Wonderful thing. And I was in his bedroom the morning he died. Took cancer. Uh, several years after that, and he, and he died. And I was in the room that morning. And listen, friends. And... His last words as he was dying, he said to his wife, he says, Marie, what a day. What a day when we met Jesus. What a day when we got saved. What a day. That was how he died. The power of the gospel. The power of God to be able to, to reach people and change people. And we moved from there. I want to tell you this story. We moved from there and we went to Drogheda. And we were 20 years in Kilkenny and we went to Drogheda. The same thing happened again. This moving of God's Spirit again in Drogheda. There was a handful of people there in the church, this Presbyterian church. Uh, one, uh, one of the people who were there was saved. Nobody else. And what happened? That most of them left. Um, when this ministry came in and I worked outside the church, John Woodside worked inside the church and, um, and, and God began to work again. Again, uh, if you went to Drogheda today, there's a new church built there as well. Um, you'd probably find again up to 300 people in it if you went there today. But here's the wonderful thing about what I want to tell you. One day I was knocking doors and I was knocking this door and this, um, I came out and onto the street again and this man met me and he, he said to me, you don't mind if I ask you, what are you doing? Well, I tell you, I looked at him and I said, well, who are you? You know, they asked me what I'm doing. And I said, who are you? And he said, well, my name, he says, is Ronan Kelly. And I'm a reporter for RTE. And I'm doing a program about people that we meet in the street. 
And I just saw you coming out there, and I, I just wondered what you were doing, and that's why I'm talking to you. And I said to him, well, I'll tell you, Ronan, I'm, I'm an evangelist. And what I do is I go from door to door, knocking doors, and I try to encourage people to read the Bible. And he said to me, to what end? And I said, because they're all going to die, and I'm trying to get them to heaven. And he said to me, when did you tell them just to live a good life and do the best they can? And I said, because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. And then he said to me, look, would you mind if I recorded this, he said to me. And he opened his coat, and when he opened his coat, he had this big tape recorder down, his, uh, down here and a, a microphone here. And, and I said to him, well, I'm telling you now, I'm a wee bit suspicious about this sort of thing because I know what you can do with this, these things, that you can go back into RTE and you can cut and paste at these things and you can make me look like an idiot. And I said, I wouldn't like you to do that to me now. And he, and he said to me, look, I wouldn't do that to you. He said, Billy, if we use it, he said, we'll use it. If we don't use it, we'll not use it. But we won't do that to you now. I promise you that. And so I said, okay. And he said to me, I want you to tell me how you got into this whole business. And so I gave my testimony like I've given to you. Tell them about Twinbrook and about the wee boy being shot dead. And we spent, by the way, 45 minutes on the street doing this. And when it was finished, he shook hands with me. He said, look, my Billy, I might not use this. But if I do use it, he said, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll be in touch and let you know about it. And so I said, okay. And so we prayed about that. And next thing was, um, a, a, a good while later, I got a, a phone call from him. He said, Billy, that program's going out tonight on RTE Radio 1. And if you want to listen to it. And I said, I can't have another meeting. He said, okay. He said, I'll send you a CD. And true to his word, on the Friday morning, the CD came through the post. And, and, and my wife got it. Post came in early. And, and we, she stuck it onto the machine there in the kitchen. And we listened to, to the program. And what he said was, he said, he, I met Billy on the street and um, he's a Christian. And he goes around trying to tell people this gospel because he wants to try to get them to heaven. And he said, when I went back into RTE after talking to him, I went into the archives and I found the incident of the boy who was shot dead. The IRA shot him. His name was Telford Stewart. Now, I didn't know that. I didn't know. He said he was 21 years old. Now, I'll tell you, we wept when we heard that. For I had two boys, and you know what? I, I tell the part, it's not a sad thing that we boy had to die like that in order for me to be moved toward God. It's just so sad. So, move on now. My two boys are both married and they've got children. And they said to me, Dad, Pat and me said, Dad, would you, would you like to go to Spain? We're going to Spain. For how they would like to go to Spain. Well, I said, yeah, I'd love to go to Spain. But I discovered I had to pay my own way. And then I discovered too why I'm going to Spain. I'm going to mind the children. Not stupid. Now, we knew that. That's why we were going. So we all go to Spain, the whole crowd of us. And, and Pat and I are in this apartment. And, and the, old, the, the youngest wee boy has got eczema and he can't go in the water. And I don't like the water either. So I've got him in my arms and I'm kind of around the place. And I said, I'd love to talk to somebody. And so I see this fellow sitting under an umbrella, reading the Daily Mirror. And the first thing I think to myself, well, well, at least he can speak English. If he's reading the Daily Mirror, he can talk English. So I go down and sit down beside him. And I said to him, how you doing? And he looked up and he said, how you doing? And I said to him, Billy Patterson. And he said to me, John Kelly, shook hands. 
And so I said, John, what do you do for a job? Where are you from? He said, I'm from Straban. He says, where are you from? I said, I'm from Drogheda. I said, what do you do for a job? He said, I'm a scaffolder. I do scaffolding. I said, what do you do? And so I said to him, I teach the Bible, I said to him, to people who know nothing about it. I just try to get people engaged in the Bible. I said to him, I'm a Christian. And he said to me, well, it's really interesting. He said, I've got a brother who's a Christian. He left home and he said, we're Catholic. He said he left home and he went to, to um, Scotland, the university. And he said on his first term away from home, he sent back word to tell us that he had become a Christian. And so we said, whenever he gets home, my mother was angry about it. and We were all angry about it. He said, when we get home, we'll knock that out of him when we get him home. And so he said he comes home um, for the summer break and he said, uh, we got all in stuck into him. And he said, what he said to us was, he said, okay, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go back to what I was. If you can show me from the Bible that I'm wrong. When he, it was really, I thought it was really good the way he'd done the whole thing. If you can show me from the Bible that I'm wrong, I'll go back to what I was. He said, we couldn't, we didn't know anything about the Bible. We could do nothing for him. And then he said to us, if you can go and get somebody, he said, you go and get somebody else to come in and show me. If you can, they can show me that I'm wrong, I'll go back. And he said, you know, we couldn't find anybody who would, could do that. And he said what was even more important was he said he, he was changed. There was something really good about him and my mum said that as well. And then he said to me, Billy, tell me, how did you become a Christian? And I said to him with my new information, I said I was working in Twinbrook and Belfast and a wee boy called Telford Stewart was shot dead. And you thought I smacked him across the face. And he jumped up and he looked at me and he said, I'll talk to you again, Billy. And he walked away. And I was absolutely shocked now. And I thought, what did happened there? And so I told my boys and they said to me, Dad, you must have said something to him. And I said, no, I didn't. I didn't insult him in any way. I didn't do anything like that. And they said, well, tell us the story again. And so I'm telling them again. And they're, they're um, saying, you must have said something to him. And I said, no, I didn't. The next morning I come out of the apartment and he's standing on the street with his wife. And he calls me over. He says, Billy, I need to talk to you. And I went over and, and I said to him, John, what happened yesterday? I said to him, what did I say that it insulted you? And he said to me, you didn't insult me, Billy. He said it was Telford Stewart. He said he was my best friend. He said we grew up together in Straban. He said he was a Protestant and he said I was a Catholic. And he said when he was 16, he said he disappeared. And we didn't know where he had gone to. And then we discovered later that he was in the army and he couldn't come home. And then he was shot dead and... He said he's buried 150 yards from my house. He said, would you like me to put something on the grave for you? It's a Catholic thing. And, and I said to him, yes, I would. I'd like you to do that for me, John. And my son gave me a DVD called The Greatest Gamble. And that's some tracks and stuff like that. And I said, and he, my son said, make sure he looks at it before he puts it in the grave. So I said this to him. And he said to me, I'll do anything for you. And his wife threw her arms around me. I'd never met her before. And she hugged me and she said, you know, we have been talking about you and we feel that we have known you for all our life. And he said, I've never only met you today. And, and that's God working. Do you know that? And so we, we um, left that. I have never saw John Kelly again. But let me tell you that I, I went to Straban to speak in a meeting. And I told that story very briefly as I got up to speak. 
And when the meeting was over, I came down to the door and to shake hands with people. And here's a man standing at the door and his tears are tripping him. And he grabbed a hold of me and he said, Billy, Telford Stewart's my brother. He said, come on down to show you something. He took me downstairs and there was a room in the church called the Telford Stewart Room. And he said to me, he said, you know something, my mommy will be still living. And she'll be glad he didn't die for nothing. And then I discovered too that Donna Trainer, who reads the news, was married to a man called Rowan Kelly, a reporter with RTE. And I thought to myself, that's a, the man who interviewed me in, in, in Drogheda and got cancer. And he was in a bad way. And I um, sat down and I wrote him a letter and I said, Ronan, maybe you don't remember me, but we met in Drogheda on the street and heard you're not well. Just want to tell you that I'm going to be praying for you. And I sent him some tracks and stuff in the, in the letter and I sent it to um, Ronan Kelly, care of Donna Trainer, BBC Ormero Avenue, Belfast. And next thing I got a, a telephone call from him. He said, Billy, this is Ronan Kelly, you got the wrong man. He said, there are two of us. One works down south and I work in the north. And he said, but I've never been so glad in all my life that somebody's praying for me. You have no idea, he said to me, what that means to me, that somebody's praying for me. And God's working. And God's working in hearts and lives. Let me finish you up because my time's nearly gone. I read those um, a couple of verses to you there about the, the, the two roads. And you see, here's the one thing that you notice in this world that there, Jesus speaking here, that there are only two roads. In a, a world of seven billion people. There's a broad road and a narrow road. And everybody in the whole world is on one of those two roads. It doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or, or, or Japanese. Or it doesn't matter what you are. There's a division there that you're either on the broad road or you're on the narrow road. It doesn't matter. Jesus speaking in this story, if you read through the whole thing, doesn't mention any religion. In a world that's full of religion. Jews and Hindus and Muslims and Protestants and Catholics. And doesn't mention any of them. Just talks about these two roads. And both roads have got a destination. Like any road, they're going somewhere. This big broad road is heading for destruction. And the narrow road is leading for life. Now I'll tell you something. You ask people today... You, you say, I went to uh, knock the door one day in, in Drogheda and this wee woman came out. And I tell you, remember, she was nearly as wide as she was high. Just the way, you see people like that, don't you? And there she was and she was like a terrier. And she said to me, what do you want? And I said to her what I'm doing. And, and she said to me, you're not going to believe this, mister, she said. I'm reading the Bible right now. And I said, oh yeah. She said, come on in. And she brought me in and the house was covered with statues and everything else there. And, but the Bible was on the table. And it was opened at that Matthew chapter 7 and I said to her there's two verses there and I read them to her the two roads and, and her name was Bernie I said Bernie everybody's on one of those two roads which road do you think you're on and she was like everybody else that you talk to along these lines she said well, well, well I hope I'm on the wee one and I said that's no good to you Bernie you need to know which road you're on you need to know where you're going and her and I had a talk and we we, from that, that day we started to have a Bible study once a week for an hour sometimes it went for two hours and eventually she came to faith in Jesus but most people want to think that they're on the, the wee road but you can't be on that wee road unless you know that you're on it you know that 
And maybe you're here tonight and you're traveling. You know, I tell you that in the reality, you get born there and you die there. And that's the road that you're on. And you look at some little boy like me standing up here right now and you say to yourself, that old fellow standing up there, he's probably standing up there somewhere. And maybe that's where I am. And maybe you're a lot younger than me. And, but let me tell you, you could be standing there. See, that's the reality. On this road of life, you don't know where you are. And you need to know. And that's the reality. And so, here, they, here are these roads. And you wouldn't, listen, by the way, you wouldn't do this in any other way of walk of life. Whenever you leave the house every day, you know where you're going. Going to the shops, I'm going to work, going to see my friends. You know exactly where you're going. You wouldn't do this in any other walk of life. But here's the big trip. Into eternity. One way ticket. You're not coming back. And you need to know where you're going. Do you know tonight? And here's a big question now, and I'm almost finished. I'm going to say this to you. How do you change? We're all born in the broad road, every one of us. That's how we are. We're just born on it. How do you get off? How do you get off the broad road onto the narrow road? Well, you know, I tell you the wonderful good news is simply this. In John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door, or I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is the gate. You've got to come through him. There isn't any other way. You want to be saved, you've got to come through Jesus. You've got to come trusting him. He opened that door at the cross when he died there. He opened it for you and he opened it for me. That's the most wonderful thing. That he was able to do that. And you can come tonight and put your trust in him. It'll change everything for you. Do you know that? It'll change everything. It'll give you a, a bright prospect as you can look forward to your life from now on because someday you're going to die and go to heaven if you put your trust in him. You know, I tell you, why is the gate so small? I'll tell you why. Because you can bring nothing with you. Leave all your old baggage outside. Whatever it is, leave it out. You know, whether it be political baggage or whatever it is, leave it out. You can't bring it with you. It might be religious even. Leave it outside. Just come as you are. Claiming nothing, just come. And ask Jesus to be your saviour. He'll do that for you. Let me pray with you. And then Trevor's going to come up. Father, thank you again just for the privilege of being here again tonight and being able to share um, the good news of the gospel. Thank you, loving Father God, again for a a wonderful, wonderful saviour who lifts, Lord, the Bible says, takes the beggar from the dunghill and makes him to walk among princes. Thank you for that. And Father, we just pray that your precious Holy Spirit will move in hearts tonight, move in lives tonight, and, and draw people to yourself. And Father, you can do that because you're God. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.